In our study, we come to the third commandment, which has been one of intrigue that I have desired to study for quite a long time because uh, one question that often will arise is, is saying the name of God wrong? I mean, for many years, you have people say the name of God under all kinds of situations uh, rather than addressing him in some kind of way that is used either as some kind of exclamation or even worse to the point of uh, being a, a cursing and, and kind of thing, uh, an expletive. Uh, people will get upset. They will say the name of Jesus Christ or, oh God, and things like that. If you grew up in the pews, you were probably told that that was taking the Lord's name in vain. That's what I always heard. That's why you couldn't say those things. But for the longest time, I always was like, well, is that what it means? Is that what God intended when he gave the command here in in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 7, when he says there, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. That particularly became of of greater interest to me uh, when I was younger. Some of you may have heard of Dr. Laura Schlesinger. She was uh, very big in California when she was in Los Angeles. And uh, essentially what she would do when people would call in and she'd handle their relationship problems. She claims to be a a Jew and a practicing Jew. And uh, one time a caller... Uh, called in and gave her a hard time because she would say God while she was talking. And her response was, you need to go study what the third commandment means because I'm not breaking the third commandment when I do that. That that taking the Lord's name in vain is not that. Which that got me all the more intrigued when I heard that. Well, I really need to look at this and figure out what it's talking about. So that is uh, some of my own personal interest in it. And you might as well because it is extremely interesting that this is one of the shortest of the commands that are given and yet it's a quite a broad thing when you just say uh, you shall not take the Lord's name in vain you kind of want a little bit more explanation to that all right well, what does that look like what does that mean what's the problem what's right what's wrong and all that especially because historically what the Jews would do later on is particularly fascinating that they got to a point where they would even not speak the name of God at all they would not say the why I-H-W-H, Yahweh name, for fear that they would take the Lord's name in vain. In fact, you can read some of their writings and often when it's translated into English, you will read G-D. And what they're doing is attempting to avoid taking the Lord's name in vain. So they will not say the name, sometimes not even print the name. So that would be the case. And so then the question is, well, is that what was intended by it? That, that his name should be revered so greatly that you wouldn't even speak his name and therefore not break this very command. So that's what we're going to spend our time looking at. I think of interest in in regards to this command is even then not only looking at how the ESV words are, but looking at some other translations might help us get a sense of what is behind the wording here. Uh, a lot of the translations will read um, that you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. And the New Revised Standard says you shall not make wrongful use of the name the name of the Lord your God. And that kind of might help us a little bit. Do not misuse. Uh, do not make wrongful use of it. And I saw our driver basically some Summarizes that word to mean the use of the name for any idol, 
frivolous or insincere purpose. And so again, you get a sense of the broadness of it. If you were to be extremely literal, it is you shall not lift up the name of the Lord your God for nothingness is the idea behind it. And the lifting up of the name then would be but not only in your words, but then perhaps even more so in terms of prayer. So that kind of then I think starts us down the road of trying to understand, well, what then was God dealing with here? What is he putting his finger on that he wants these followers, these people who have just come out of of Egyptian slavery and here they are at Mount Sinai and God now is revealing himself as we've noted over the past few Sunday nights how chapter 19 and verse 18 reminds us that the people have come to meet God and this is God revealing himself to them and so the very third declaration after you cannot have any other gods but me none in my presence nor can you worship me falsely and have any kind of image whatsoever to represent who I am than to say, and you should not take my name in vain either. There are some ways then that we see God's name misused in ancient times that I think would be involved with what God is dealing with when he gave this command of what he's trying to prevent. One of the ways that you see in the scriptures as well as in ancient times is that you would use the name of God for sorcery. The idea behind that was you believe that by saying a certain name, a particular God's name, then that would give you some kind of abilities or even supernatural powers for magical incantations. One of your favorites that you might recognize this to exist is in Acts chapter 19. Remember what happens there where we read, uh, then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. The seven sons of the Jewish high priest were named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus, I know, and Paul, I recognize, but who are you? And when the, and the man who, with whom the evil spirit le- leapt upon them, mastered all of them, overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. That's an idea of what is involved there of this, this, uh, these Jewish exorcists thought. Well, if I just say the name of Jesus, that will give me the ability to cast out this demon. That's, that's awesome when the evil spirit says, well, I've got Jesus and i got Paul. I don't know what you're talking about, though, and completely destroy this guy uh, for doing that. And, and so that's part of what God was talking about here is you weren't supposed to use God's name as if saying the name was going to invoke some kind of power to you. Uh, you you've got his name, and so you say it a particular way or say some particular phrase or say his name in some kind of uh, paragraph or sentence. And by doing so, that's going to cause God to be able to give you power or act on your behalf or do something like that. Here's God saying, it doesn't work that way. You're not going to be able to use my name as some kind of magical incantation. And therefore, because you've called on my name, now you're going to get what you want. You know, sometimes that's an attitude that's used in prayer, right? We'll do a prayer and it doesn't happen. We go, well, I prayed. As if because, you know, you said a prayer to God and used in Jesus' name, amen, he was supposed to do it. 
And God's, no, that's not how my name operates. Just because you know my name and say my name doesn't mean that what you desire is going to come to pass or it's going to give you some kind of power like that. And so that's one of the ways that you see that that use. I think that's particularly interesting because uh, today you see that an awful lot. If you watch some of these false teachers in television or in their read their books or things like that, they'll often tell you if you say a certain prayer, you know, if you say these certain things, then you would finally be able to tap into the Holy Spirit or God would finally now reveal things to you or give you what you needed. But you need to be able to say it like this and say these particular words and have this particular formula. Tons and tons of books out there, uh, things of like how you're going to experience God. There's a whole series of them, things like that, that if you just would say things a certain way, that would do it. Of even more particular interest that has happened of the more recent past as well among what we would call more conservative Christians is that there's even been a movement of, well, what people said when you were baptized even affects if you were really saved or not. So you need to go back and consider, you need to make sure that when you were baptized that they said the words in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And if they didn't say it just like that, then you weren't really saved. And if they said in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you did it wrong and you got to redo it again in the name of Jesus Christ and you got to say the right words. This is that very sin. That's what this is talking about is God's name is not some kind of magical incantation as if there's a particular formula by which if you say certain words, God has to listen. I think one of the things that drives me uh, up the wall as well is how the model prayer is treated that way. Here you are in your darkest need and, you know... uh, we have our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, and go through the whole model prayer rather than saying save me from the fire or something like that. You're using the model prayer as the magical incantation. Just because I said this repetition, that means God has to hear me, right? And this is what God is doing. That's using the Lord's name in vain. That, that's exactly what sorcerers would do is to think that if I toss the name around, if I say it in a particular way, then God has to act and he'll do what I say. And so that's part of the picture of what the ancients would do that God is standing against. The second way that God's name was misused uh, by the ancients was through false prophecy. Uh, You would have people who would say the words, thus says the Lord... But then they would turn around and prophesy something that was false. Like Jeremiah chapter 14 and verse 14, where here we read, The Lord said to me, The prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I did not send them, nor did I command them or speak to them. They are prophesying to you a lying vision, worthless divination, and the deceit of their own minds. And so he says, here's the second way people misuse my name, is they go around saying God told me something here is thus says the Lord but they actually aren't prophesying what God said at all the reason why they use the name of the Lord is to give themselves credibility and to be able to advance whatever they're trying to teach and we know that just doesn't happen at all today that nobody uses God's name like that to try to advance their own agendas and accomplish their own will I mean this is one of the big things that God is talking about is you don't use my name that way. Perhaps one of the most sickening things that we do see every four years is every politician suddenly becomes a God-fearing Christian and starts throwing God's name around saying, oh yeah, I'm a believer in God. 
God. And so that's why you need to vote for me. And here's you're misusing the name. That's not even true. You don't follow him. You don't adhere to what he says. You don't care about his name in the slightest. The reason you're using his name is to advance your own agenda. And that's exactly what God was talking about here in Jeremiah. That's not how God's name was supposed to be used. All kinds of things are used today to be able to try to advance personal agendas, social agendas, government agendas. And you put it all under the name of God. Oh, well, it's the social agenda, so we'll attach God's name to it. uh, And now it's okay. Now it's holy and right and good. And so God gives us a a picture here And, and to push that a little bit further to consider how many false things are taught under the name of the Lord in churches across the country and across the globe. You know, it is a staggering thought to think about how much false teaching is also going on in places on Sundays as well. Under thus says the Lord, under opening the word of God and claiming that what they are saying is the message of God and the meaning of the text when that's not the meaning whatsoever. Even worse with the popularity of the charismatic movement of people, I have a message from God and then turn around will say to the person, here's what God has told me uh, about you and so I have something to share with you, which is not what the scriptures say is God revealing himself. And yet that still happens today. Here back in the days of Jeremiah was the very same problem. God told me a message and here's Jeremiah going and God goes, no, I didn't. I didn't tell him any such thing. Well, why does that person say that? But to elevate themselves, to advance their own agenda, to be able to draw attention to themselves. And so the, the Lord's name is being misused in that way. And so a warning was given to that. And that's why you see that condemned throughout the scriptures as well. You were not supposed to misuse his name and say that God said something when he actually had not. It gives you a sense of the seriousness in terms of that as well. Because you have like in James, when James comes along and says, not many of you should be teachers. Because there is a warning about when you are representing what God says and you are saying this is what the word of the Lord says, you better be right. Because there is a condemnation for those who twist the scriptures and misuse the scriptures for their own uh, devices and their own agendas. And so that's why James would speak that way. There's a, a grave warning to those who would teach from the word of God and say, you need to be careful in what you are saying, because when you represent God, that is a very big deal. And to say that these are the very words of God, then you need to be right in that. And that leads into the final thing that you see the ancients in their misusing is that you see an awful lot of swearing false oaths. And we'll, soon we'll get to look at that even uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, how Jesus deals with that as well. But what you would have is that the people would use the name of the Lord to try to prove that what was being said was true, even though it was actually false. Jeremiah 5 and verse 1. Run to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem. Look and take note. Search her squares to see if you can find a man, one who does justice and seeks truth that I may pardon her. Though they say as the Lord lives, yet they swear falsely. 
So they would take an oath and say, oh, as the Lord lives, this is going to happen. I will do such and such. And they're lying. They're not going to do what they're saying that they would do. And we see that same thing today in a lot of different ways. It's not usually in the name of the Lord so much, but you might have heard the phrases like, you know, I swear on a stack of Bibles. You know, well, what are you trying to say? <laughs> Your credibility is usually so shot that you're trying to convince the person of the truthfulness of the, what you're about to say. And so you come up with something like, you know, I swear on my mother's grave and things like that to try to be able to convince the person that, well, what they were doing was doing it by the name of God. Uh, I swear by the name of God that I'm telling you the truth about these things. And God says, you're not supposed to do that and swear falsely. You're not supposed to be able to do that. And so when God's name was invoked, the words were not supposed to be false at all. But we see in the scriptures that we're told that they were able to take an oath by the name of God. And sometimes that's been a question. Like if you went to uh, court and they make you, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth? So help you God. Deuteronomy chapter six and verse 13 tells us there's no problem with that. Even in the Old Testament where Deuteronomy He says, it is the Lord, your God, you shall fear him. You shall serve and by his name, you shall swear. What God was concerned about is you're taking his name and then you're lying. Don't do that. You take on the name of God. You're supposed to represent the name of God and speak the truth when you do that very thing. And what was happening here in the days of the ancients is that they would take on the name of God to try to convince somebody of truthfulness when in fact it was a deception. When you notice these things happening in the scriptures, it becomes pretty interesting and somewhat obvious to recognize if God was concerned about his name in those regards, how much more than to use his name as some kind of cursing or some kind of expletive of sorts. And we studied that even in the book of Leviticus and we got toward the end of Leviticus chapter 24. You might remember the event that happens there in verse 10 through verse 16 that we have an Israelite woman's son who gets into a fight and he blasphemes and curses the name of the Lord. And the question of those six verses is now what should we do with him because he just blasphemed the name of God and cursed the name of God. You know what God's answer was? Death. That was the result for that person for doing that. Jesus taught the same thing. When you think about what Jesus taught in regards to the model prayer, remember where he begins with this is that God's name is to be held as holy. Hallowed be your name, a word we don't use, but that means it's supposed to be regarded and treated and spoken as holy and not treated as profane or common or flippantly. And that's the idea of taking the Lord's name in vain to use it frivolously to use it flippantly God say my name is holy you're not supposed to use it that way you don't just toss it around but when you use the name of God it would be used with honor and respect that it would be a blessing and a celebration of goodness of who God is and we might ask the question well what is the big deal right I mean so what the big so what is because a person's name represents the person I mean, can you imagine if uh, I'll pick out JP and I go around to him, you know, and I'm just saying all kinds of things about JP, JP's name, about this and that and whatever. And then he comes to me and go, why are you saying that? I'm not saying anything bad about you at all. I'm just saying your name. The name represents the person. 
If you say God, you're representing Him. You can't turn His name and just make it whatever you want it to be. This is His name. It represents who He is. I think a, a parallel which would be to how the American flag is treated. You know, there's all kinds of rules to the American flag. I mean, you're not you're not supposed to let it touch the ground. You got to fold it certain ways. It's supposed to be higher than all the other flags. There's all kinds of rules that surround it. Why? It's just fabric. Right? It's just fabric. What does it really matter? It matters a lot because of what it represents. And that's the idea about the name of God. It's about it represents Him. God's name represents His goodness, His graciousness, His greatness. And that's why it's supposed to be carefully treated. Is that this is who He is. Just as you wouldn't want to hear your name thrown about in all kinds of different ways. Because it represents who you are. God, the holy, righteous God, doesn't want His name used that way. And that was one of the concerns that God had as well, especially when you think about how many passages tell us about the importance of the name of God. Just not going to go spend any detail on these, but just think about these passages that say like in Acts 4, 4 verse 12, that there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we might be saved. His name is powerful. And is the means by which salvation comes. Romans 10.13 Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 1 John 5.13 I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. Why is he just, who just believe in the Son of God? The, the name is, is everything too. As it represents who He is. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6.11 you, Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. To have a sense that the name of God represents who He is. And that's why His name is supposed to be counted as holy and it is supposed to be revered and it is to be respected. It represents his very character. To push that a little bit further, will you notice how serious God takes this command? When you look back at Exodus chapter 20 and in verse 7, he says there, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. I think that's particularly interesting because here God says, I hold my own name in high regard. If God holds his own name in high regard, he says, I will not hold anyone guiltless who uses my name in vain, frivolously tossing it aside to use it uselessly. Well, then obviously we must uphold it and give it great respect. He respects his own name. And here the scriptures speak of the power of his own name. I thought Martin Luther said it pretty well when he said, We are to fear and love God so that we do not use his name superstitiously or use it to curse, swear, lie, or deceive, but call on him in prayer, praise, and thanksgiving. What's the point of his name? Except to use it for praise and for prayer. Not to use it superstitiously. Not to use it as a byword or to curse and swear or lie. That seems to be the main problem that the ancients had in using his name is that it would be used in a superstitious kind of way. What we need to be careful about for us is to recognize, are we using God's name as a polite way to swear? That's probably the most common way is that I don't want to use something stronger. I recognize those words are bad to use 
And so instead, God's name is used instead. And it's used then as some kind of expletive or cursing or byword or throwaway word. And we're not calling upon the name of God. We're not truly speaking to Him. We are not making a request of Him. We are not directing the words that we're about to say to Him. We're just casting the words off. And that's what God is talking about. If when you say, don't use my name in vain, it is a, an idea of using it frivolously. If you're going to use the name of God, then it is to be used with care and respect. And it's also supposed to be used in that you are speaking about who He is and His character or addressing Him directly in that use. I think when you step back and consider what the command is dealing with, I think a good summary would be this, is that if we choose to use God's name in a useless or frivolous kind of way, we would only do so because God himself just doesn't mean anything to us and seems frivolous to us. And we're just not understanding the depth of who God is and the holiness of that name and the grandeur of who he is when we would turn around and use his name in such a flippant way. We're just not understanding who God is. We're not grasping his greatness and we don't see him for the value that he truly possesses. And I think that would be a a, a good way to put that is when we understand the person of God and we understand his holiness and we get a sense of how high and awesome and majestic and lifted up that he is as creator and king and ruler over all people and all heaven and earth, then that's not a name you just go tossing around as if it were nothingness. That this would represent who He is and why Jesus would begin that prayer by saying that God's name must be counted as holy. And so, in studying it, I believe Dr. Laura was incorrect. (laughs) That The only thing which she's correct about is the command was not to just simply be, okay, don't say my name in a bad way. It was much broader than that. You are not to take false oaths. You are not to use it as a byword. You're not supposed to use God's name as an incantation. You're not supposed to use his name to uh, give yourself more credibility, to uh, pass an oath by while you're lying. Instead, all those things are included. But it is most certainly included to recognize the holiness of the name of God. When you think about the scenes of which we see people before the throne room of God. And the power of God that causes people like John and like Ezekiel and Isaiah to just fall down as dead just in the very presence of the likeness of the glory of God. And to think that our God has done something so amazing that He allows us to use His name to address Him and speak to Him. In fact, the New Testament becomes so fascinating because when you come to the New Testament and Jesus comes along and says, now when you pray, pray like this, and you get to call God your Father. Something that you don't see anywhere from Genesis to Malachi. People are not calling God Father. And you come to the New Testament and Jesus says, 
That's the relationship you get to enjoy. Our Father who's in heaven, but I mean, right after that, you keep His name holy. Hallowed be your name. To respect what God has done for us, that we have received salvation through His name, through His power, through His love, through His authority, that we would never consider taking His name as some kind of flippant thing. It is He who has saved us. It is He who has even granted us the opportunity to open the door of prayer before Him to make our requests known to Him, who said, I want you to know me and to call me your Father and lay every petition down before me and then to turn around and then just use his name as if it were nothingness I hope we have a sense of why God would put this command in and say you respect who I am as much as I am your father and I love you you respect the holiness of God and that we would always stand before God with that kind of reverence It is so easy, I think, to fall to the two extremes. The one extreme is just we are so fearful of God that we cannot approach God and He's going to barbecue me any second for every misstep. And the Scriptures tell us that's not the case, that we get to boldly come before the throne of God, that we are called His children, and that we get this special relationship with Him. But then to not go to the other extreme that says... Well, now I can just be flippant in how I approach. Since I'm a child of God, I get to approach and do whatever I want to do and say His name however I want to say. No. To respect where we stand before Him. As I close, I can't think of a better way to think of it, but really in the parent-child relationship. That you have that there are the boundaries of, yes, the child has this open access to the father, while at the same time there is to be a level of decorum and respect for who the parent is. Those two things stand side by side. Yep, you're a child, but I am still the father. And those things must stand together. And I believe this is the intention of what God gave with this command, that we would not take the Lord's name in vain. May we then consider our own language and how we use God's name. May we always use it in speaking of how good He is and never cast it as something useless or frivolous in our just common everyday speech. We're going to sing a song. You can take your songbooks out. And as we sing the song, we are going to invite you to find your salvation in the name of the Lord Jesus. For through Him, we can be saved. That we have a great and mighty God who came and sent His Son to this world to die for us. And that through that name, we can be saved. May we always respect and love Him for it. If you're ready to come to that, will you turn away from your sins tonight? Confess Jesus to be the Son of God and be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins. Will you come now while we stand?